0: Hello, this is Shane Claiborne and Tony Campolo. The name of the show is Across the Pond. We're recording on the east coast of the United States, uh, and that's why we call it Across the Pond. But we also love talking about Jesus and justice. Uh, We we talk a lot about red-letter Christianity, so some of the old Bibles have the words of Jesus highlighted in red. And we're kind of asking the question, what if Jesus really meant the stuff he said? What if we lived like Jesus uh, when it comes to uh, selling what we have and giving it to the poor, loving our enemies, not worrying about tomorrow. So we get a lot of guests on here that help us work that out. And uh, we're doing a little series here of folks that are doing beautiful ministry all over the world. A lot of friends that Tony uh, has supported through the work of EAPE, Evangelical Association for the Promotion of Education. It does <laughs> that's ton, what we it call it. EAPE. Yes. But, uh, you know, spurring on this, these wonderful ministries. And uh, our our guest today is Kent Annan, who's uh, a great friend. He's um, doing work down in Haiti that you, you can introduce him a little more, Tony. But he's also written a new book that's so relevant to the conversations that we're having. Uh, The the, Kent Annan's book, You Welcome Me, Loving Refugee and Immigrants Because God First Loved Us. So I love that there's books like like Kent's that are um, talking about immigration, not just as a political issue, but as a spiritual issue. Because we we, we know that when we welcome the stranger, we welcome Jesus. When we don't welcome the stranger, we don't welcome Christ. So we're going to talk about all that. Welcome, Kent. Uh, Good to have you
1: on the show, buddy. Thanks. Great to be with you, Shane and Tony. You have this new book, You Welcomed Me, Loving Refugees and Immigrants, Because God First Loved Us. It's forthcoming, November of this year, 2018. It'll come off the press, and you can buy it then. But let me just say, he had some other books that you might get a hold of. Slow Kingdom Coming, that came out in 2016. Aftershock, 2011 and uh, then before that, uh, Through the Eye of the Needle, uh, 2009. Uh, let's talk about uh, uh, aftershock. Uh, that's an important one because uh, there was an earthquake in, uh, in Haiti, and uh, uh, you talk about what happened uh, in the time that followed the earthquake and what the Christian church and you in particular had to do with it all. Could you talk about that just a little bit?
2: Yes, I've been working in Haiti for about five years, and as you know, Tony, it was part of, the, you know, branching out from the work that you started in Haiti, and we were grateful to be part of that family tree, and working with churches and schools down in Haiti, and um I was in Haiti a couple weeks before, and then I I came back, and while I was back before going down to Haiti again, this earthquake, devastating earthquake hit that killed over a 100,000 people, and... Um, in the aftermath of that, you know, we were working, and schools we'd been working with collapsed, and we had to help help rebuild that. Uh, the the home that I'd lived in when I was living in Haiti uh, collapsed. Neighbors and friends I'd known, some people out in the village where you visited as well, Shane and Tony's been, you know, had mm. had died when their homes collapsed. And and after that, we were, we we're just working long hours and working so hard to help and try to support people and support the church and then I wrote this book aftershock sort of as my psalm psalm of grief and and trying to find hope in that though so in those aftershocks that came afterwards and and in those aftershocks were were it was devastating and heartbreaking and lots of tears but then it was also beautiful and I think the the Haitian church was part of what got people through that um mm. singing hymns helping people rebuild homes and um Again, like Haiti, so often it's uh, beautiful and exciting at the same time that it's that it's devastating and and uh, the most intense of all the fifteen years or so I've been working in Haiti. The most intense time of that was right after that earthquake.
0: So before we get to the the, the newest book you've done, uh, I've been down there to Haiti, Tony has too, and we we just love uh, uh, the. I think what what was inspiring to me was seeing all the Haitian indigenous young people and leaders that are leading everything. And um, you've been doing this work a while. We we celebrated 20 years at, at my community at The Simple Way this year, so it was a big landmark for us. And I, I wonder, you know, as as you're looking back at your 25-year-old self, what are some things that you would uh, say? Because uh, there's, there's folks that are trying to figure out how to start ministries or how to join stuff that's really redemptive that's happening and What's some advice that you would have since you're, you're a seasoned uh, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, worker now? You know, uh, yeah, just to mind.
1: introduce him further, uh, he's not only an author, he's the Director of Humanitarian and Disaster Leadership at Wheaton College. That's the kind of the uh, West Point, the uh, Harvard of Christian colleges. Uh, he leads uh, a Master of Arts program there uh, uh, with the Humanitarian Disaster Institute at Wheaton. Um, he uh, heads up a philanthropic foundation um, focused on ending uh, the exploitation of children in Haiti and in the Southeast Asia part of the world. And as he has already said, uh, he's a uh, uh, co-founder of Haiti Partners, this ministry uh, that he's been carrying off with a dear friend uh, for several years now. So I just wanted to—he's a graduate of Princeton Theological Seminary He is a graduate of Palm Beach Atlantic University, and um, he teaches adult education at his local church. And he speaks regularly at groups uh, across the United States and overseas. So if you want him, uh, you can contact him by contacting us, uh, going to our website, redletterchristians.org. Drop us a note, and we'll get you in touch with Ken Annan, and you can have him as a speaker. Okay, you want to pick it up from there, Shane?
0: Yeah, go ahead, man. You were going. To, I, I asked you, you know, what are some things that you would tell your twenty-five-year-old self?
2: I know. Say, well, I was going to say you said I'm seasoned, and then hearing Tony say that, that's, uh, and I have the gray hair the gray <laughs> hair to, to, to attest to all this. Um, you know, I think it's this combination of following. I've I found like following our hearts, and people want our want our hearts you know, and and God wants our hearts to be moved by compassion, and then the part that we also want to do is to use our heads, and I think when we're serving people, so um, going in and thinking, oh, who can I learn from, you know, who's someone else who's done something like this, so I'm not repeating their mistakes, and and take my creativity and how God's inspiring me, but also make sure I want to uh, learn from people. I think the main reason I've found is, you know, we want to do that because often the people we serve in these sort of areas um, are vulnerable in some ways, you know, whether it's in the in the city or it's on death row or it's in Haiti or wherever it is. And so we really want to take that responsibility seriously, mm. not be scared and not be paralyzed. Um, I think we can look at the challenges of the world and there are two, one option is to go in naively thinking we can save the world, um, but then the other option is to be paralyzed and think, oh no, it's too complicated or, or that. And I think neither of those are good options. The good option in the middle is to be inspired by God, be inspired by love, but then go along the way and, and learn the best and find the right mentors, find the right uh, people to learn from. And I, th- I think when we do that humbly, uh, we really can make a big difference for people. So I think that's what I've learned along the way and what I'm still trying to learn.
1: You know, uh- When uh, you talk about Haiti Partners and uh, finding the right people and connecting with them, Uh, Mm -hmm. in a real sense, Haiti Partners and uh, uh, your sister organization, Beyond Borders, um, you guys uh, came into existence primarily because you realized that my organization, the Evangelical Association for the Promotion of Education, Uh, had uh, gotten seduced by the wrong people. That in a sense, there are so many really wonderful workers in Haiti doing incredibly wonderful things. Uh, There are so many Haitians who uh, have the heart of Jesus and are reaching out to their own people in the most loving and creative ways. But there are some people who uh, know how to uh, connect with those of us who have messianic complexes. You know, I go down to Haiti, and I want to save Haiti from all the poverty and suffering. I want to introduce all the Haitians to Jesus. And there are those who know how to spot guys like me uh, who are shysters, who are, you know, exploiters, and end up seducing us into sending them a lot of money. And they use the money to aggrandize themselves instead of helping their own people. You, on the other hand, uh, came in and rescued me as and uh, several of your friends rescued me from that kind of exploitation and have created organizations that have connected resources with those in uh, Haiti who are the genuine Christians, the real thing, who are concerned about one thing and one thing alone, and that is helping Haitian people uh, to survive and to grow and to change their country for Christ. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about how you have come to this latter kind of ministry? Uh, what stories can you tell me? Specific, specific stories of your experiences in Haiti. Uh, people that you have come to know, that you have come to work with, that have done great things with you in the work of Jesus in that desperate country.
2: Yes, for sure. I think the person who I've learned the most from and, and who has helped me from, I made plenty of mistakes, but who helped me from making even more was a friend named Enel Angerville. And uh, I write about Aynel in in both of my book, After Shotgun and in Slow Kingdom Coming. Um, you know, Aynel grew up as a, on the island of Lagunov, even a, a poor island, a poor part of Haiti. And, um, you know, he talks about going to sleep hungry and not having food for days and for, for a while being exploited kind of as child labor himself. And I got to know Anel when he was in his early 20s and watching grow. And what we did, kind of referring to exactly to what you were saying, Anel, or, or what you were saying, Tony, is like I, I would, had learned enough from others to just start giving Anel a little bit more responsibility and a little bit more at a time instead of, you know, handing over a big responsibility, or or a big check, or something to him, and it's been amazing to work in close partnership with him for almost fifteen years now, and to see uh, to see him grow and say, "Oh no, we can't do that project. That's too fast." Or no, don't let's not use money here. Let's wait six months and and do this project with the church to see if they really care about their community. They're not just doing it because they want American money to come in. Um, you know, so these are some of the factors. And in the earthquake, Anal. You know, you know, and I had been together speaking at Urbana um, just a week or two before the earthquake happened. And then he went back to Haiti, and he was taking some classes in education so that he could um, keep getting better at the work we were doing. And he was on the third floor of a sixth-floor concrete building in downtown Port-au-Prince when the earthquake struck, and the building collapsed. Um, he, the other students he was with in the classroom died were crushed under that building. He survived. He kind of hobbled out, made his way to a square, was in this town square and, you know, singing hymns for the night and his legs were kind of crushed. He couldn't walk. And eventually, Anel got picked up by a family friend, got him out, and he started to heal. And and this is the story, and these are the kind of people that keep me investing in and caring about Haiti and, and why we want to give to these kind of organizations is like the minute Anel could walk, even still with a limp, he came back into the city of Port-au-Prince because he just wanted to be there to help everybody he could. Mm. Uh, and since then, he's—like you know, right now, he's started—there are about 200 small groups meeting around the country every week, groups of 25 people each where they're studying the Bible. They're usually meeting in churches, and then they're making these savings and credit groups where they're pooling their money together and giving loans to each other. Uh, so they're they're growing in Jesus. They're— helping their communities. They set aside part of their savings just to help out like a kid in the area who can't go to school or do some project to clean up the local environment. But then they're also saving and helping each other start up their small businesses. You know, So um, it's this beautiful vision, I think, of of what you talk about, the red-letter Christian um, understanding that they have themselves. And so you know that's their vision. I've just been able to support them some, but Anel is helping these other people change their own lives as they grow in Jesus and grow in helping their communities uh, get better. So NL is the kind of person I love working with and, and the kind of person that Haiti partners and Beyond Borders. And, uh, and I think that's part of the leg- legacy of EAP and making a difference for people in Haiti and thousands of people's lives every day there still.
0: Hey, this is uh, uh, Shane Claiborne and Tony Campo. We're talking with our friend Kent Annan, uh, who is uh, one of the founders of Haiti Partners. He's also doing some really important work at Wheaton University now, Wheaton College, out uh, Uh, in Chicago area around welcoming refugees and immigrants. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But uh, for those of you that might just be tuning in, um, you can find more information about what we're up to at redletterchristians.org. And you can find links to Kent's work and uh, dozens and dozens of other incredible folks that are um, doing beautiful uh, ministry around the world. So Kent, as we were talking about this, you know, we were kind of like spending a little time looking back on the work because you're doing some new stuff now. But one of the things that I've learned from watching you all down in Haiti and also from our work in North Philadelphia is um, that you 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 can't have too much of a plan. Um, <laughs> you know, you it's important <laughs> to have some like guiding principles and foundations. But as far as the exact manifestations of what ministry looks like, it changes, right? You have an earthquake and it changes. Are you understand in your context that there are some young people especially young women that are exploited in a kind of a cultural form of um of of indentured servitude and so you kind of are looking at all that and i think one of the the things that even even the micro businesses that you started that i got to see they have a micro business of composting toilets down there like so creating a you know, uh, a different way of of getting rid of our waste. Um, But one of the the little um, proverbs that I've held on to, um, I don't even know where it originally came from. It's like one of those proverbs you just hear uh, cited. And Dr. John Perkins um, says it a lot, but it's this. He says, go to the people, live among them, learn from them, love them, start with what they know, build on what they have, and in the end, the people will say, we've done it ourselves. And and that that model is it's it's the Jesus model of living among the people, but it it's kind of what you've you've been doing. And um wouldn't you say that that, that the plan kind of changes <laughs> because you're living yeah. in proximity <laughs> to the people, right?
2: Exactly. You know, the like if you look at a years long strategic plan it changes. Right? I used to joke when I'd I'd take a small group down or we'd have visitors come down and I'd show them the plan for the week. And I said, now none of this is going to happen, but I know you'll feel better if it looks like we have a plan uh, so then,
0: then you yeah. go from
2: there. But, but yeah, but I think, but then you have to be totally completely rooted in, in values, you know, in the right values.
0: And, exactly. And yeah.
2: Culture along the way. And, and I think that's the, that's the difference, And that's where we have an advantage. We're not just about strategy, but we're about being faithful, faithful to Jesus um, along the way. And when we do that, we're shaped by other people uh, you know, we get shaped by them and we're able to serve. And then sometimes in my role in this kind of place, I just feel, feel like I was a bridge, you know. And I, I think if I could be a bridge to Anel, who I talked about earlier, and, you know, I, I knew the partnership was starting to go well and the plans were changing when, when he'd start saying, no, that's a bad idea. You know, so if I bring 10 ideas down, you know, he'd say, oh, three of them are good, but seven of them won't work. And thought, oh, that's a good dynamic because if they're saying yes, if you're doing this kind of work, anywhere, whether it's Philadelphia or Haiti or somewhere else, you know, if people are saying yes to all your plans and you're you're the outsider, you know, then you're not following that proverb from Dr. Perkins that you just said. But if yeah. if people are saying, no, we've got the right dynamic, we're listening, we're adapting, and we can be sort of a bridge of ideas and resources sometimes and we're being shaped by them, exactly, then they really are the ones who are, who are making the difference. But hopefully you got to play some role in supporting what they're doing.
1: You know, when you were talking about the am- aftermath of the earthquake, uh, you mentioned that uh, uh, your friend Emil, uh, went to, to got out of the building and somehow uh, got to the uh, to a place where some Christians were singing hymns to God. Uh, one of my friends said he he lived in a house uh, on a mountainside overlooking the city, and uh, after the catastrophe of the earthquake, uh, there there was dust a cloud of dust uh, from these collapsed buildings, the cement dust rose in the air. And he said, I wondered where the city had disappeared to. And then in the midst of the dust, I began to hear people singing hymns of praise to God in the midst of this catastrophe, praising God, uh, thanking God for life and for the good things To be able to do that shows that the Spirit of Christ was at work among the people of Haiti in the midst of the chaos. And you mentioned about the singing of hymns, and this friend of mine said, I heard hymns uh, being sung out of the dust, out of the dirt, out of the uh, horror of it all. I heard people singing hymns uh, to the Lord. I guess you heard the same thing when you were down there. And when you said, uh, come down uh, uh, with no great... You might come down with a great plan, but you have to invent things as you go along. I think of the words of Scripture where Jesus says, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. When he said, take no thought for tomorrow, Uh, sufficient Mm. unto the day. Get through the day, listen to what people are saying in the existential situation and go from there. Um, uh, Tell us a little bit more about what you're doing now.
2: Yes, I think just came, jumping back to Haiti, it really did seem like the, the what happened in Haiti in the aftermath could have been added to the Book of Acts or something. Like what mm. you were talking about there, Tony, and the, the stories I was hearing of that faithfulness. Um,
1: and so now I am the director of... Uh, could you pick up on his, that? That intrigued me. It seems like it yep. comes out of the Book of Acts. Could you expand on that? In what ways?
2: Well, it just felt like this, faith, you know, just this faithfulness. Or so you think of the Spirit coming on the Church of, of Acts and just not knowing, or like, what's this testimony that can be something that inspires the Church for, for hundreds and now thousands of years since then? And it feels like, you know, we talked about taking help down to Haiti, but but if we, we slow down enough, I think, like the stories I've told and you just told, we we as a Church should be inspired by Haiti and by the Haitian Church and their faithfulness and facing the catastrophe like that, but then the ongoing suffering day to day, and just feel like they have a, they have an incredible amount to teach us. And that's another part of doing this sort of work um, is we want to go in because we're going to be humbled. If we listen enough, we're going to be humbled by the the faithfulness and the persistence and resiliency of the the people we get to serve. Mm.
1: You know, so we, we always talk about, let's go to Haiti and change Haiti. In reality, change took place in reverse. You went down to Haiti as a servant of Christ, but Haiti has changed you. You wouldn't be who you are. You wouldn't be writing the books that you're writing. You wouldn't be starting the organizations that you've established if it had not been for what the Haitian people have done to you. Could you elaborate on that a little more?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Like they it's, it's the gift of my discipleship of of seeking to follow Jesus, has been able to be there in Haiti and learn from now and learn from... From these women who I get to work with and be in our program, so I think I think being there and modeling modeling that and modeling our lives after the people in these circumstances is is one of the gifts. And Matthew twenty five, it's it's Jesus makes it clear that we're when we go to do this kind of work, we help the person who doesn't have clothes or feed the person who doesn't have food. Then we're meeting God, and that means it's a, a transformational encounter. Not that not that we're taking god to them but we're meeting god in them and so i've really tried to take this too into what i'm doing at Wheaton now of of helping this next generation of of leaders who are wanting to do this sort of work and think how how can we help them in a master's degree program to you know be reading academic articles and thinking about how to do good program design and do good psychological care and all that but also think about you know how they can be formed by the people who they're going to serve. So when I teach a refugee class in this program, like last semester, um, we didn't just read about refugees, but they we went to ESL courses and met them, and they had to go and interview refugees. And we went and re- met refugees who were working in local businesses, um, one, because we want to help, but also because of what we were just talking about, because we want our lives to be shaped uh, by the people we serve, um, because that's also part of how God shapes our lives. I
0: think. Mm. So, in in just a, a couple, we just got a couple minutes left, and I I wonder, you know, as we're thinking around the world, um, there it's not just the United States that's that's having to ask this question of how do we uh, live on the side of love rather than fear? How do we offer hospitality to refugees and immigrants? And what are you seeing that that gives you hope in all that, Kent? Because you you you're you're spending your whole life on this now, so give us a last little word of. Um, when it comes to immigration and refugees,
2: I think what I find hopeful is the people who do get past that barrier of fear, uh, whether it's through their church or they start a relationship. It's the people who actually know others. Um, I think their lives are changed, and they they bec- they know that they become a better version of themselves. You know, the the church who receives a refugee and sponsors them, the the retired woman who tutors uh, you know a woman from. Myanmar, you know, once a week in the church basement, um, the student uh, who has another refugee in his class or a doctor recipient, you know, when we get over fear and don't let politicians manipulate us, you know, I think there's an invitation here, and people see it and they recognize it, that, that politicians can make us into our worst selves, and I think mm-hmm. that's happening right now on this issue. But if, we're, if we refuse that and we really meet people and start relationships and these relationships transform us. We get to become our best selves, and and that's that's where I find it hopeful. Still, mm-hmm. lots of people are doing that. People want to be welcoming to refugees. They see that it makes makes them better people. They see that they make a difference in someone else's lives. And so, my hope is that uh, in, even in the face of of hard news around this issue and lots that's heartbreaking. Uh, that we can keep on doing more and more of that instead of becoming the worst version of ourselves as yeah. communities and countries. This is an opportunity to become our best selves.
1: Amen. We're going to have to wrap this up yeah. because Thanks, our time Ken. is up. But uh, uh, could you come back and do a show with us next week <laughs> because we haven't even begun to get into the depths of your life and ministry. This is Tony Campolo and uh, Shane Claiborne. The name of the show is From Across the Pond. God bless you and keep you in his will.